So yeah, I've gotten cheesy on you. It's 2020 and I got a series called Sighted, right? I couldn't resist. Uh, God laid that on my heart and I was like, that sounds so cheesy. But then again, I'm like, you know what? Uh, my cheese came from God. God's the one that gave me my cheese. So I'm the one that is cheesy because God gave me that. So that, uh, I don't know if cheesiness is a spiritual gift, but apparently I have that spiritual gift. The spiritual gift of cheesiness. So anyway, so we're in a new series called Sighted, um, and we'll have some really cool logo for you. I couldn't come up with anything uh, right now, but we'll have some really cool logo for this new series. But um, So my desire for me in 2020 is to have a new perspective, to look at things in a different way than I always have. You know, it's obvious with... With 2020, we're talking about having 2020 vision and being able to see clearly. I think so many times in my life, I don't see things so clearly. As a matter of fact, my vision is clouded. Um, I, I, I told you guys recently that, that I've had to start getting, or I've got reading glasses. I've had to start using reading glasses, and I always forget to bring them up here. I told you that I'd be using them all the time and all this kind of stuff, and I basically lied to you from the pulpit because I forget to bring them up here all the time. So anyway, uh, maybe this will be a reminder to me to bring my reading glasses, the fact that we're doing a series called Sighted. Uh, but in my own life, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I do all the time, I get so wrapped up in all the junk going on around me that, that I forget to, that, to take a step back and look at things the way that, they, that God would have me to see them. You know, so many times I get wrapped up, and I, I told you this just a minute ago, that I get stressed out. Uh, to the point where, I, like, it just it makes me forget about everything else, and all I can think about is the stress. You ever feel like that? I can't even come into church without thinking about the stress that's going on in my life. A time when I'm supposed to commune with God and get close to God, and, and I'm just thinking about the stresses of life. Um, how messed up is that, you know? I don't believe God wants us to be stressed out. I believe that God would rather us, rather us lean into Him and say, God... Give me the vision to see things the way that I need to see them and, and give me the peace that I need to be able to endure all the stresses of life. Um, but I think that sometimes we get so wrapped up in seeing things the way that we see them and we refuse to see them the way God sees them. Um, so in this series, we'll be talking about that. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit of personal details about my life uh, and, and what I've kind of gone through in the past few weeks. Um, I have said before that I, I'm in a very stressful situation at work, and part of that was due to my boss, and, and my boss put a lot of stresses on us, and I'm not, I'm not pointing my finger at the guy. I'm just saying that that's kind of, he's, he's kind of high-strung, and he's wired that way, and he put a lot of stress on himself, as a matter of fact. You may know somebody that's like this. They're in a stressful situation, and they make things worse by, by putting stress on themselves. Like It's like they take something that's, this, this 10 times bad, and they multiply it by 10, and it's 100 times as bad because they put the extra pressure on themselves or the people around them. You may know people like this. Uh, my desire is to not be like that. Sometimes, unfortunately, the, uh, I, I do that to people, and I don't want to do that to people. Um, as a leader in my job, one of the things that, that I have is I have people that report to me, and I need to empower those people as opposed to putting pressure on those people. And and I have, to keep, I have to keep reminding myself of that because um, I will inherently just, just put pressure on other people without thinking about it. And I need to be conscious of that on a daily basis. And, and this boss of mine, I reached a breaking point, if I'm perfectly honest with you. It was the Thursday before Christmas, and um, I was working, and I was at home, and I was like, just, I was stressed out. And, and I called one of my coworkers, um, somebody that's a peer of mine, and I said, you know what? Um, 
and for the first time in, in, in about 15 years, I'm updating my resume today. Uh, I really, I, I've reached a breaking point. I can't take it anymore. Um, the, the things that my boss is asking me to do don't make a whole heck of a lot of sense, and, and it, the, the pressure and the stress is getting to the point where, you know, I just need to go somewhere else and do something else. Uh, and that was on the Thursday before Christmas. Two days later, the Saturday before Christmas, my boss had a heart attack. He had a heart attack. Uh, and I truly believe that a majority of the reason he had that heart attack was because of the stress and the pressure that he had put on himself. He was in a very difficult situation, admittedly, at work, but... I believe that he took a lot of that and he put it on himself and, and, and made it a lot worse. He had a very serious heart attack, so much so that, that they called me and told me that um, he's completely unresponsive and they're going to check for any brain activity to see if he has anything going on in his brain right now because he's been depleted of oxygen for a while and has had a serious impact on his brain. And I thought, well, this, this may be the end. You know, He may not make it through this. And slowly over the next two weeks, I was very surprised and very happy to hear because I don't want anything bad to happen to anybody. And I certainly don't want anything bad to happen to my boss. And, and over the next few weeks, he, he began to progress, and he got better. And, and he was able to they take out the innovation, and he was able to breathe on his own. And you know, at first, they had the oxygen tube in his nose and all that, and, and he looked like he was doing better. And he was starting to sit up on his own, which is something he hadn't previously been able to do. So he was able to, to sit up on his own, and he was struggling with some issues with memory. He didn't know who people were. He didn't recognize people and that sort of thing. But they thought, well, with the trauma that his brain has been through, it's entirely likely that, that, that it'll take some time for that to heal and, and maybe his memory will come back and that sort of thing, right? And, and so he was getting better. He was able to feed himself, as a matter of fact. He got to the point where he was able to feed himself, which was a, a huge step for him considering where he had been. And then the physical therapist came in on one Saturday and tried to get him to stand up. He stood up and was there for a minute, and then he started to get shortness of breath. And they laid him back down and gave him oxygen and, and tried to get him okay, and, and his heart stopped, and it never restarted again. And this past Tuesday, I went to a prayer service for him because he passed away. It's just one little snippet and one little picture of how our vision can affect us. Uh, one, one little... Uh, example of how, you know, if we don't necessarily have a God vision and, and we look at things around us and we let it consume us and we let it destroy us, that it can. We can put stuff on ourselves and, and if we don't have the right kind of vision, it can affect us physically. And you know as well as I do that when we're under stress, that it can cause all kinds of health problems. It can cause you to, to, to think all kinds of crazy things. It can, it can do serious damage. Well, well, my prayer and what God has opened my eyes to this year in 2020 is, man, we just need to have a different vision. We have a, a better clarity to see things the way God sees them and less the way that we see them. Because it can. It can seriously, to the point of where it can kill us if we don't have the right kind of vision. So today, I wanted to, to talk about that a little bit. And the thing that came to my mind immediately when I started thinking about this is I started thinking about the prophet Elisha. Um, and he had a servant that was with him. And some of you guys have heard this message before and you've, you've heard me preach on this. Not the same message, it's the same passage, it's never the same message. But I got to thinking about uh, this, this servant of Elisha um, and, and, and how they were in a difficult spot and God gave this servant the vision to see things the way that Elisha saw them. 
And, and, and we'll talk about that today. Uh, we'll actually be in 2 Kings chapter 6 today. That's where we'll be. The prophet Elisha has, has taken on the role of being kind of the, the he, he's, he's kind of taken on Elijah's role. So if you remember the, the, the prophets of Baal that uh, Elijah stood up against and how he had to take his stance and pray fire down from heaven and consume the altar and all that kind of stuff. Elisha uh, was his, uh, Elijah was Elisha's mentor, okay? So he was like, he took up, he took up the torch, the cloak actually, uh, from Elijah, and now he's the prophet of God, and he's consulting with the kings of Israel, telling them what they need to do, what they don't need to do, right? So here, we see that the Israel was constantly under attack from the enemy. They were constantly trying to, uh, trying to, you know, impress themselves upon Israel, and they were constantly trying to take over Israel, and, and you see that a lot of times, and a lot of stuff that's recorded uh, in First and Second Kings has to do with these attacks, and here we see Elisha and the Armenians are trying to attack Israel. And what we see in 2 Kings chapter 6, it says this. When, uh, the, when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel. Do not go near that place where the Armenians are, are planning to mobilize their troops here. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert there. So what's going on here? So the Armenians are trying to attack the Israelites, but they forget about one key component. And that is they've got the man of God. He's referred to as the man of God. Here Elisha is referred to as the prophet of God, the man of God. And this is somebody that is basically <laughs> the, 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 the king of the Armenians is making plans. God hears those plans, as he always does, and he beams those, those, uh, those plans down to Elisha, right? That's basically what's going on. So it's, it's basically like God has got the ultimate tapping device on his phone, and like he, he's relaying information to Elijah. Here's what's going on. And of course, if you're the king of the Armenians, what are you going to think? Every time we go to do something, they got the inside track, and... and, and there's got to be a traitor on our side. Somebody must be filling them in on what's going on. Somebody must be telling the Israelites that we're coming to this, this place at this time and, and here's where we're going to be because every time we go there, it turns out the Israelites are either gone or they're ready for us. It's because Elisha's giving the information to the king, the king of Israel, telling them, hey, look, they're coming here at this time. Just want you to be aware. Detailed plans about where they're going to be. Now, you've got to understand something. I know that it's a little bit de different in our day and time, but, but I really believe that people in this day and time, they really had a true dependence on God in a way that we can't understand. I really believe that, that man, they were, they were on the brink so many times, and if God didn't feed them from heaven, like, they were going to starve to death, you know? They had a different perspective than we have. And here in the United States, in this day and this time, we, you know, if we need something to eat, we go to McDonald's, you know? We, I mean, we, we take care of ourselves in so many ways. Well, the people of Israel were not like that. They depended so much on God. I believe they were so deeply connected in prayer that, that it was just different for them. I think that we rely on ourselves so much that, that, that we, get, we, we, we get whatever we want and we think that we took care of it. So, so we're the, the source of that. But you know what I think, too? I think the, 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 the problem with that is that 
we begin to rely on ourselves so much that it does affect uh, everything about us. And that's one of the reasons that we feel so much pressure. And that's the reason we feel so much stress. And that's the reason we feel like it's on us. It's on us. I better make it happen. I better do this. I better do that. Instead of taking that and taking it to God and say, God, you're the source of everything. Anything that I have is because you have given it to me. I think that when we have that kind of perspective, I think it takes the stress off of us immediately, don't you? God, the only reason I've got the job that I have is because you gave it to me. The only reason I have the skills to have the job that, that I have is because you gave me those skills. I have nothing on my own. God, it all came from you. When you start to have that kind of perspective, it, it takes the pressure off a little bit, doesn't it? You start to see things in a different light. One of the things that Christians should be different in the way that they live their lives, one of the ways they should be different is, is the fact that they, they see everything has come from God. And they should live a more joyful, stress-free life because they have that perspective. Jesus Christ rescued my soul. He took on the penalty that, that I should have taken. He, he, he paid the price for me, and he died for me, and I have eternal life. If I have eternal life, then why am I so concerned with this life so much? And we should have a different perspective. And I, I think people should see that in us. They should see the fact that there is joy inside of us and, and, and just this peace that doesn't make any sense to them and go, huh, there must be something to that person's God. There must be something to what they believe or they understand about God because, you know, I see everything as being my responsibility and me owning it and me having to do it and me making sure it happens. But they, however, live a more stress-free life because they see all that belongs to God. Our sight affects other people's sight. How we see things, what we see, affects how we live our lives. How we live our lives affects what people see in us. That's what they see in us. And it becomes our testimony, right? The reason I live my life in such and such a way is because God is the one that is in control. And it's not all on me. As a matter of fact, it's all on Him. So here, we've got God interceding and telling Elisha, here's where they're going to be. Here's what's going to happen. The people of Israel are very dependent upon their prophets, and they really believe that what they say is true. So the king of Israel goes, all right, dude, you say that they're coming, and they're coming here at this time. By the way, Elisha, do you mind telling me where you got this information? And what would Elisha say? Uh, Duh, God. And, and they're like, okay, well, that's a good answer. Okay, let's, let's, let's bank on that one. I like that answer, okay. Whereas today, I think that if I were to go to President Trump and say, you know what, we need to do this. And we need to do this. And he would say, where did that come from? And I would say, well, God told me. Immediately, I would be escorted out by security, right? <laughs> like, they would say, thank you for the input. We really appreciate it. There's the door, you know. But, but the people of Israel are a little different, you know. He goes and Elisha talks to the king, and he's like, this is where they're going to be. And, and then what happens, right? He, he kind of proves that that's the case because it says time and again. Time and again, time and again. I think if we have the right God perspective on our lives, that we will see that God is faithful again and again and again. We just sang about that just a minute ago, right? Like, like every single time. Like if we look back at our lives and we have clear vision about what God has done in our lives and we see clearly what God has done in our lives, we will see how God has come through again and again and again. And I can trust it in the future because he's done it in the past over and over and over again. He's already proven himself by his son, Jesus Christ. Do you understand that, right? Like, there's, 
Like, if you're wondering, man, I really need this or I really need that, and is God going to take care of it? All you have to do is look back to the cross and say, okay, he's taking care of everything. That's all I really need was the cross of Jesus Christ. Because eternity is what's going to count in the end. Not how much money you die with in your bank account. What's going to matter is eternity and the fact that Jesus Christ paid the penalty and the price for all of us. And you wonder if, if God's going to do it again. He already answered that question through his son, Jesus Christ. There's nothing else he needs to answer. It's already been proven. He's already paid the price. It's already been sent out there. There's nothing else for him to prove. So here we've got this man of God coming to the king time and time again. It turns out to be true. The king immediately thinks that he's probably a traitor in their midst. Let's read that in chapter 6, verse 11. It says that King Aaron became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which one of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? So somebody without a God plan that, or a God-sided vision that they're going to see things and you say, well, must be an inside person. It must be, you know, because he's not thinking about God. That's not where his mind is. He's not thinking, well, the people of Israel have the one true God, and that's maybe where their information is coming from. Now all he says is it's got to be somebody here. It can't be some supernatural God that's doing that. It's got to be somebody on the inside. And somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that's the way that they see things. The reason this has happened and that has happened is not because God is in control and God is doing this. It's because you wronged me. You did this. You backstabbed me. You did this. All of these kinds of things, they want to blame it on somebody else as opposed to looking at God and say, God, you know what? Everything I have is because of you and every single thing that happens in this world is because of you. And, and I'm focused on you and not so focused on what everybody else is doing. That's why it is that when, when people attack us or come against us, Jesus says, just, just turn the other cheek. It's just, I mean, like, if they strike one cheek, give them the other one to strike two. You see, because in the end, all that's not going to matter. People are going to come after you. They're going to attack you. It's going to happen. You get all ticked off all you want to, but it's not going to do you any good in the end. As a matter of fact, Paul says, if you want to really get to somebody, then, then what you need to do is you need to be extra nice and pray for and love on those people that attack you and persecute you. He says, it's like dumping hot coals in their head. You know, we, we, are to, we are to be different, act different, and have a different vision. Therefore, all these things that, that people are doing, we, we don't have to be looking at all of them. We just need to be looking to God. That's where we need to be looking for. All these, these things are coming against us, people attacking us, people uh, saying stuff about us, people excluding us, whatever the case may be. We just need to You say, you know what, God, you're doing this for a purpose and a reason, and their, their lives are in your hands, and you're just controlling them and... and and maybe the reason I feel the way that I feel is so God's preparing me for it to be able to take on something bigger. To take another step in my relationship with you, God. Instead of finger pointing and going, it's your fault, it's your fault, you did this, you did that. Say, God, you're, you're the one that's in control and you're preparing my life for something else. And whatever you have for me is okay. Even if it's bad, because I know that there's good at the end. I know that ultimately, no matter what happens in this life, eternity with you is what matters most. So here the, the king of the Armenians is like looking around and must be you, must be you, pointing his finger everywhere going, here's the problem, here's the, the problem is not, it's, the problem with us is not God, the problem with us must be somebody on the inside, right? That's what he's saying. As opposed to saying, well maybe this God that they have is really legit and maybe he's at work here. No, he's looking on the inside. We've got to have a traitor in the midst. It's not us, my lord, the king. When the officer replied, Elisha the prophet in Israel, 
tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in private, in the privacy of your bedroom. Now, the king is probably going, I wonder what else he sees in my bedroom. You know, he's probably asking that question too. But he's saying, even the things that you speak in your bedroom, God is hearing exactly what you say, even in the most private quarters that you have. So a king's bedroom would be his most private quarters. And here... Uh, this officer is telling him, you know what, the reason that they're able to snuff this out is because God hears everything that you say, even in your most private location. Even when it's just you and somebody else, your most private location, God still hears that. So he figures out, okay. So apparently, <laughs> this, this, uh, this kills me. I'll read the next sentence and then we'll go. Um, go and find out where he is, the king commanded so I can send troops to seize him. There are so many things that are funny about that right there. So this officer says, you know, your problem, your, your problem is not with a traitor on the inside. Your problem is with God. And I know how I'll fix this. I'll go find that man of God. I'll kill him. Did the king stop to go, hey, you know what? Maybe if I kill Elisha, God is still going to speak to somebody else. Like, He's sovereign to the point where he can hear the, the conversations that go on in the privacy of my bedroom. He's speaking my plans to this man. This man is taking it to the king of Israel. But what this God cannot do is find somebody else to do that job. That must have been the way the king was thinking. Like, what an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, like if he takes out Elisha, there's just going to be another dude that God's going to speak to to get the plans to. Duh! You know? Like, if God's that smart, he's really smart enough to be able to get somebody else to do the same job, even if you kill Elisha. But this dude is so narrow-minded and so fixated, it must be a person that he's not thinking about God. And it must be, it, it must be a person. Therefore, I will take out my vengeance on this person, and that will fix the problem. How stupid. How stupid is that? If, for some reason, I have a heart attack, and I, I, I don't make it too weak. God will raise up somebody else to speak. There'll be another speaker. It may not be in this place. It may be somewhere else. But, but there will always be a speaker. There will always be somebody to convey the truth of God. Now, sometimes you have to seek them out. And you have to seek God's, God's plan for your life and sovereign will for your life. And, 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 and God requires, not only does he have a plan, but he requires us to walk in that plan, right? He has prepared ways for us, and we're to walk in those ways. You have a choice, of course, whether you walk in them or not. You can, you can go somewhere where the truth of God is not preached and, and where you just have something that tickles your ears. That's a choice that you have to make. But to say that, you know, some, if something happens to me that that's the end of the voice of God, that's a ridiculous thing to say. That's a ridiculous thing, the way to think. And here, so that was one funny thing that he says, is that, you know what, if we take out this guy, then obviously we'll take out the voice of God. We'll fix the, the situation by killing Elisha. So go find out where he is. So here's what the king says. We've been making these plans in secret. God's been hearing them and giving them to Elisha. So I've got a plan for how we're going to get to Elisha. We're going to make a plan in secret to go get Elisha. That's how we'll get him. You kind of see the problem with that plan? You kind of see the problem with that? Like here, i got a secret plan that Elisha won't know about to kill him. We'll make it in secret, and he'll never know about it, even though he's been hearing all the secrets we've been making already. We'll make a plan here, and we'll go get him. Surely he won't have any heads up on that, right? <laughs> the king, 
look, sometimes rulers make stupid decisions and they are stupid. That happens. But here, it seems like it's exceptionally stupid. Like, we'll make a plan. Elijah won't have any idea what our plan is. They'll never know we're coming to get him. How ridiculous is that way of thinking? So, anyway, I just find that kind of stuff funny. And the report came back. Elisha is in Dothan on the way to Panama City. So, no one... <laughs> Thank you for getting that. It's the only thing you've laughed at all day. Okay, good. So, so one night, the king of Aram, see, I knew y'all would laugh about that. If I was doing this in Georgia or Tennessee, nobody would have gotten that. But the fact that we're in Alabama, that's a lot better. So anyway, so one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Okay, so this is in secret. He made this plan. So Elijah surely doesn't have any heads up. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning, went outside, there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. So Elisha is at Dothan. He's headed to Panama City, and he's, he's, uh, he's camping out. And, and his servant gets up the next morning, you know, after this plan that has been made in secret that Elisha has no idea about, right, that's been completely kept from Elisha. So the servant goes outside and says, oh, Elisha, dude, let me tell you. It's not looking good for us. Elisha, you need to be worried. You need to be scared. You need to be very afraid right now. I mean, that's basically what he's telling us. You ever have somebody like that in your life? Hey, look, your life looks really bad right now and really scared. You need to be afraid. You need to be scared. You ever have somebody like that in your life? Uh, I, I remember when my daughter was sick. There were many people like that. Like, you need, you need to know how bad this is. Dude, I know how bad it is. I know what's going on. But the truth is, I, I know who God is, so therefore it's not as bad as you may think it is. And here, this servant goes out and he sees all, I mean, just, I mean, just like innumerous chariots and, 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 and horses and, and soldiers and stuff, and the dude's freaking, right? That's us. So many times. We look around, there's no way. There's no way out. This going to be the end. Not going to be able to make it until tomorrow. It's been a good run so far. This is the end, right? But we have to have a different vision. We have to see things more clearly. Stop seeing the things that we think we see and look beyond what we see to look and see what God is really doing. And see what God has really got in store. And say, you know what? Even if today is the last day, that's okay too. That's God's plan. And, and because it was God's plan, I'm good with that. But Elisha says to him, says in uh, verse 16, don't be afraid. Elisha told him. Actually, he says, don't be afraid! That's what he says, exclamation point there. For there are more on our side than on theirs. So I know that the servant must have been like, hey, dude, I love you, Elisha. Really did, bro. But I walked outside and I didn't see any of our guys. All I saw was their guys. Like, I appreciate what you're saying, and it sounds good, but really, I, I saw what I, what, I, what I saw, and there's just a ton of people, and none of them are on our side. And here you are. I go back in the tent, and you tell me that don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. we got a lot more people on our side. Now, maybe he's going, well, maybe he means, like, in another city, or maybe they're on their way, and, and like, so what does Elisha do? So the servant comes back in and tells him that, like, there's a ton of people out there and they're all going to kill us. 
So Elisha says, okay, don't be afraid, don't worry, it's all good. And then he prays. The next thing he does is he prays to God because he, he needs this guy to see things. Then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So, there's many things that have been said about these horses and chariots of fire. There's many things, I mean, even movies, you know, chariots of fire made in reference to this. What's happening here is that this young man, this, this servant, I believe him to be a young man, basically, um, just based on what I kind of see, typically a servant and somebody that would be traveling around with Elisha would typically be younger than him. He's probably a younger man, a little bit, maybe, uh, a little bit immature maybe in his faith and just youthful and he doesn't really see things the right way, you know, and, and here Elisha just falls down and prays. He said, God, you know what? He needs to see. Father, let him see. And I, I, need, I need that prayer. Don't you? Father, let me see. I just need to see what's really going on. I, I need to, to take my vision off of what I see right in front of me and see the bigger picture. And Elisha prays for the servant. Father, let him see. And then he goes outside and he looks up and he looks up and he sees behind Elisha, he sees horses and chariots of fire. These aren't just horses and chariots and men. These are horses and chariots of fire. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, if I got to be in the battle, if I got to be in a battle between horses and chariots and men or horses and chariots and men on fire, I'm choosing the fire guys, right? Like, I want to be on their side. I don't know why they look like fire, but I want to be on the side of the fire guys. You know what I mean? Like, that's... So, I mean, when, when he's looking at this, he's, imagine the sense of relief that he felt. Not because, not because they had already won the battle, just because he could see clearly. What does that say about our lives, right? We've already won the battle. I don't know if you read the back of the book, but in the end, we win. If you read the end, we win. We're so consumed with all this junk and, and stuff going on around us, and we all we see is that right there. And many times, so many of us haven't even bothered to read the end. In the end, we win. We win. We're part of the family of God. We're, we're, we're part of, of God's chosen people. And in the end, we win. We just need to see that. We just need to see the reality of who God is. And, and this particular young man, he needed to see who was really on his side. And once he saw that, I think everything else just kind of faded into the background. For us and our lives, isn't it a lot like that? And we forget about the back of the book. All we see is, is what's going to come up this week in our work lives or what's going to come up this week in our, in our school lives. What's going to come up this week in our personal lives. What kind of faces, the challenges we face coming up in the next week, and that's all we see sometimes. Take, instead of taking a step back and saying, God, help me to see. Help me to see what's really going on here. Help me to see the fact that you are really in control and everything that I'm afraid of, you've already got an answer to. Everything that I fear, everything that, I, that I'm walking through in my life, you've already got 
something much greater in store to take care of all of them. I, um, I was reading a story, actually, Robbie Zacharias, he's, he's a great preacher, a great man of God. He was talking about how he went to Angola Prison in Louisiana. Angola Prison is a state penitentiary for Louisiana, and if you want to know where it is, if you picture Louisiana as an L, it would be right there in the crook of the L, right? So Angola Prison was known as one of the nastiest, most horrible places that you could possibly be assigned to if you were a prisoner. The state penitentiary was terrible. 85% of the people in there were serving a life sentence with no chance of parole. Once they went into Angola prison, they were never coming out. It was a horrible place. It was a terrible place. And, and it was even said that when they assigned them their clothes and gave them their clothes to go to their, uh, their prison cell, that they would give them a knife, knife and say that if you don't have this, you're not even going to be able to survive. I mean, it was that bad. And in 1985, the warden came in. His name was Burl Kane, and he... He, he started to revamp everything, and he started to put, insert Christ into that prison. And he brought Christ into that prison. And, and, and one of the cool things about it is that, that there's no profanity allowed by any of the staff members, no profanity allowed by any of the prisoners. It's not acceptable uh, to use profanity in Angola prison. And things started to transform. They started to transform radically in Angola. And, and, and he was talking about all the things that he began to experience, the fact that and Robbie Zacharias was talking about that he went in there, and, uh, and he was actually teaching because he was teaching some 90 men that were in seminary inside the prison. Even though they would never leave the prison, they were in seminary to become pastors so they could be pastors to the other prisoners. I'm sorry, that gives me chills every time I think about that. They were, let me say it again. They were being pastors inside the prison to other prisoners. Even though they would never get out of there, they wanted to go to seminary inside the prison so that they could be pastors inside the prison. People with life sentences. And, and Robbie Zacharias was talking about how he went to, to death row. Right? Because they execute men and women prisoners there. And said in the ante room right outside of death row... This is where the prisoners would have their last meal, right? And we got a picture of what it looks like. This is the anteroom right outside of where the execution chamber is. He said there's two pictures here. One picture is of Daniel in the lion's den. And these, both these pictures, by the way, were painted by, by a prisoner. The one picture on the left is Daniel in the lion's den. And then the other picture is Elijah being taken up to heaven as recorded in 2 Kings chapter 2. The idea here is this. Is that if you're on death row and your life is on the line, remember Daniel in the lion's den and pray that God will protect you and God will save you and God will rescue you. But if your life is taken from you like it was for Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2 where he was taken up in the whirlwind of fire chariot, a chariot of fire. That's Elijah being taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. He says, even if your life is taken from you, God still provides a rescue. God still rescues you. Even if it's to himself, even if your life here on earth is taken from you, there's still a rescue available for you. 
that's hanging on the walls of the anteroom where prisoners go to have their last meal before they go to be executed. I think what's important for somebody that's about to go and their life is about to end, one of the things that's important for them to see is, is this picture of God's rescue, this picture of God's salvation that's available to everybody. It's important for them to see. It's important for them to remember. It's important for them to connect to the fact that there is salvation available to them. And that's the reason this prisoner painted those pictures to put up on the wall in the antechamber. As you go through your life, as you go through your trials and difficulties, and probably nothing you experience is anywhere close to knowing that you're about to go into a death chamber. Nowhere close to that. But sometimes we get on that very brink, and sometimes we get into dark places, and sometimes it feels like life is just crushing us to the point where maybe it's health for ourselves, maybe it's the loved one's health, maybe it's any number of things that can make us feel like we're basically walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and we're right there on the brink, right? The thing that's important for us to remember and it's important for us to do is to see, to see clearly. To have our perspective changed so that we're not looking at the things that are going on around us, but we're looking to the salvation that God provides. Whether it's Daniel the lion's den or the fact that he rescued Daniel from being able, being consumed by those lions, or it's like Elijah, when Elijah was taken up to, to heaven in a chariot of fire and his life came to an end. It's important for us to recognize that there's a rescue available for each and every one of us. There is a rescue not a Christian, if you're not a child of God because you surrendered your whole life to Jesus, let me tell you something. You are on the very brink of death. Every breath that you take, you need to think about the fact that it could be your very last. And just when you think that you're immune from, from things happening to you and that you drive pretty safely and I'm pretty health conscious and that sort of thing, so was my boss. So was my boss who had a heart attack on a Saturday. He never came back too mentally, and two weeks later, he took his last breath. You need to recognize and see clearly how close you really are to death. And then on top of that, you need to see clearly that God has prepared a way through His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue you. Whether it's in this life and He rescues you from a heart attack and He pulls you back, or He, he allows you to go on and, and Son, that you would 